that as life happens, sometimes things can get too heavy and we lose our focus and we lose our passion for God. But as I'm sure you know, the power behind all great art, all great drama, the power behind all great music, behind all great architecture, the power behind all great writing is passion. It's passion that energizes our life. It's passion that makes the impossible possible. It's passion that gives you a reason to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do something today with my life. And if you lose that, you got big problems. Because without passion, life becomes a real bore. Without passion, life can be real monotonous. Life can become dull without passion. You see, you need to know this morning that God created each and every one of us to live a passionate life. It's passion that mobilizes armies into action. It's passion that causes explorers to boldly go where no man has ever gone before. It's passion that causes scientists to stay up late at night trying to find a cure for dreaded diseases. It's passion that'll take a really good athlete and turn them into a great athlete that goes about breaking records. Passion. You've got to have passion in your life. And so, if you, like me, feel like sometimes that you've lost your passion, I'm going to tell you today what you can do about it. You go back to the beginning. You go back from whence you came. You go back to the beginning. And so, in Mark chapter 12, I found the beginning. You see, there was one of the scribes, one of the uh, religious folks who had come up to Jesus and having heard him reasoning with his disciples and the people that were listening to him, uh, that scribe had perceived that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And he perceived that he was answering them the questions they had very well. And that scribe asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Which is the most important commandment of all? And Jesus answered him this. He said, the first of all the commandments. The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say heart. heart. 
Say, with all your heart. And with all your soul. And with all your mind. And with all your strength. Jesus said, this is the first commandment. This is the most important commandment. So this man walks up to Jesus and says, what's the most important thing you find in the Bible? And Jesus answered him saying, I want you to love your God with all. Say all. I want you to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, nothing matters more than that one thing. Nothing matters more than loving God with all your heart. He said, that's the number one thing in your life. And when you feel like you've lost your passion, you go back to the beginning and you learn how to love your God with all your heart. Because you see, God doesn't want you loving him half-heartedly. He wants us to love him with all of our emotion, with all of our will and desire. He wants us to love him with all of our intellect and with all of our might. And I love how the paraphrase of, of verse 30 is uh, translated in the message. The message says this, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion, with all your prayer, with all your intelligence, and with all your energy. Now, if you've got a pen or a pencil with you today, I want you to take it out. Find a pen. Borrow one, whatever you got to do, because I want you to do something for me today. I want you to take that pen, and in your Bible, yes, you can write in your Bible, uh, in verse 30, I want you to circle that word, heart, where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And there's a reason I want you to do that. Because when Jesus speaks about loving him with all your heart, that word in the original language means passion. With all your passion. God is saying, I want you to put some muscle into our relationship. I want you to put a little bit of energy into your relationship with me. I want you to put some passion into your relationship with me. Give me some emotion. Don't be a wimp when it comes to our relationship. He said, don't be namby-pamby. Don't be half-hearted. Come on, give it all you got. Give me some passion. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, then you've got to do it with a little passion. You've got to do it with a little oomph. You've got to do it with a little bit of zip, a little bit of spark. Give me some zest. Give me some emotion. Give me some passion. I want you to live for me passionately. And you'll find that all through the Bible, we're told to love God passionately. The Bible says that we're also to serve God passionately. 
In Luke 4, 8, Jesus answered the devil's temptations by saying, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Say only. For him only shall you serve. He said, you serve God passionately. But the Bible says that we're also to obey God passionately. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, the Bible says, and get this, that the Lord your God will test you to find out if you love him with all your heart and soul. He'll test you. How will he do that? By seeing if you keep his commandments, by seeing if you obey his voice, by seeing if you serve him, by seeing if you hold fast to him. God tests you to see if you love him with all your heart and soul. But the Bible also tells us that we need to trust God passionately. And in Proverbs chapter 3, one that I've just been clinging to lately, the Word of God tells us to trust the Lord with all your heart. And what does heart mean? Passion. Love, trust the Lord your God with all your passion. And lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all your ways. And then He promises that He will guide your path. Trust Him passionately. And if you ain't got the message through those three yet, in Colossians chapter 3, the word says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with all your, what does heart mean? With all your passion, whatever you do, do it with all your passion as unto the Lord, not unto men. Whatever you do, do it with passion. He says, I want you to do everything passionately, just like you were doing it for me. Do it passionately when it comes to loving me, when it comes to serving me, when it comes to living for me. I want you to quit doing it half-heartedly and do it with some passion. But here's the amazing thing. <laughs> and I'm as guilty as anybody in this room. In America, it's okay to be passionate about anything except God. See, it's not politically correct to be passionate about your faith. It's not politically correct to be passionate about God. I can be passionate about movies. I can be passionate about sports. I can be passionate about politics. I can be passionate about fashion. I can be passionate about clothes. I can be passionate about restaurants, and I am. I can be passionate about my career. I can be passionate about my family. But heaven forbid that I be passionate about God. If you go to Amazon.com and if you punch into the search window a passion for, you will find a listing of hundreds of books that begin with that title. There's a book called A Passion for Birds, A Passion for Books, A Passion for Cactus, A Passion for Chocolate. I can dig that. There's A Passion for Fashion, for Fishing, for Flying, for Gardening, for Golf, for Hunting. There's a book called A Passion for Needlepoint, A Passion for Pasta, 
a passion for ponies, potatoes, roses, shoes, and the list goes on and on and on about books written about passions. In our day, it seems okay to be passionate about anything except your faith. You can be passionate about anything except your relationship to God. And the church folks are just as guilty. You know, you can go to a rock concert. You can go to a political rally. You can go to a football game. And you can yell your stinking head off. I'm right, ain't I? <laughs> You can go to that game, you can get all excited. You can get hoarse because you've been yelling so loud. If your team loses, you can cry and that'll be okay. You go to that game and your team wins, you can jump up and down, you can dance, you can wave your hands in the air. And man, people will look at you and they'll say, man, now that's a real fan. But if you do that in a church, you're a lunatic. You get excited about God in a church while well, you're a fanatic. You're a nutcase. You have passion about anything, just not God. Heaven forbid that we get too emotional about our faith. Heaven forbid that we get too passionate about our faith that it causes us to do something for the cause of Jesus. But i got to share with you, in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, the Apostle Paul wrote to that church, and in that one verse, he teaches Christians this. He says, never be lacking in zeal. You know what zeal is? Passion. That's right. He said, never be lacking in zeal, but be passionate about spiritual things. Be passionate about spiritual things. Now, if you think about that verse for a second, you begin to realize, wait a minute, passion must not be automatic for the Christian. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm going to be passionate about God. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm going to be passionate about my faith. That means that passion is a choice. That means that passion is a discipline. That means that, that passion must be something that I'm responsible for maintaining. I've got to maintain my passion. I've got to build my passion. I've got to strengthen my passion. And brothers and sisters, I've got to tell you that, that passion is not something that comes naturally to us. Passion for God does not come naturally to you, even if you're a Christian. It's something that you must maintain. It's something that you must choose to do. You must choose to be passionate about the things of God. 
And then we have life. Life comes around, and life always seems to be trying to distract us from the things of God. It almost seems like life is conspiring against us to try to limit our passion for God. So here's what God says. God says you are responsible for your passion. God says you're the one who's responsible for keeping your passion going. You are the one who's got to keep the fire hot. You are the one who must maintain discipline. You are the one who must keep your passion. He says your passion is not going to come automatically. It's something you got to work for. It's something you got to build. And I can tell you that being passionate about God doesn't have anything to do with your personality. I can tell you that being passionate about God doesn't have a single thing to do with your age. For instance, I can tell you that, that uh, many senior believers in our own congregation here have walked with God for a long, long time, and they're still passionate about God. I know that many of us here are kind of introverted, we're kind of quiet, but yet we still have a great passion for God. But I think that our Christian lives can be a whole lot like a helium balloon. Matter of fact, I read about one mother who bought 18 helium balloons for her son's 18th birthday party. She gets home and at some point the balloons get away from her and go all the way up to the second story ceiling. And she's looking up there at them saying, how in the world am I going to get those balloons down? And her husband comes along and says, don't worry, honey, they'll be down by morning. And in really just in a few short hours, those balloons started losing their helium and they started working their way down. And I'm sad to say that I think that sometimes we are a lot like that. When you first come a believer... You begin to think, man, I got a great deal. You guys don't know Bill Barlow like I know Bill Barlow, but Bill Barlow got a great deal when I came to Jesus. What a deal. They, people think, you know, I got a great deal, and I'm excited about this deal. All, say all, all of my sins are forgiven. I now have a purpose for living. And I now have a future home in heaven with my Father who loves me. Is that a great deal? Boy, that's a great deal. And that's something to get excited about. That's something to be pretty passionate about when you've given your life to Christ. But then as time goes on, begin to lose your steam. You begin to lose your helium. You begin to lose your zip. Begin to lose your zest and your enthusiasm. But why does that happen? 
why. Well, that was a long introduction into a series of messages that I want to share with you. Because we're going to look over the course of the next couple of messages about uh, things in God's Word that shows us about seven passion killers. Seven passion killers. Now, I'm just going to share one with you today, so don't get all panicky. But anyway, we're going to, I'm going to share with you about these seven passion killers so that we can learn how to be more passionate for God. How to avoid these things that kill our passion for life and our passion for God. Because God says, I want you to love me with all your and heart means passion. So this morning we're just going to look at just one. Just the first of the seven passion killers and what might keep you from having the constant passion for the Lord that he desires for you. That first one, the first passion killer is an unbalanced schedule. I know that sounds overly simplistic, but I pray that this will help you. If in your daily schedule you're either overworked or underworked, you eventually are going to lose your passion for life, and therefore you will also eventually lose your passion for God. I've learned that the Bible speaks a lot about the fact that life is a series of seasons. That there's a season for everything. That there's a season for work, and that there's a season for rest. But if you have too much of either one, you're going to lose your passion. Too much work, you're going to lose your passion. Too much nothing that is not working enough, you're going to get bored. And you're going to lose your passion. My guess is that of everybody that's here this morning, half of you probably need to work less, and the other half probably need to work more. Mm -hmm. Here comes the fun part. See, it's real easy to be in one extreme or the other, working too much or working too little. But in the Living Bible, in Psalm 127, verse 2, the Word says that it's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night, fearing that you're going to starve to death, for God wants His loved ones to get their proper rest. Now, that's a good word for you to put in your pocket this morning to take home, especially if you're inclined to be a workaholic. God wants you to get your proper rest. Now, there are some of you in our midst this morning who are always helping. There are some of you who are always sharing. You're always serving. You're always working. You're always being generous. But you never take the time to recharge. And if you never take the time to recharge, you're out of balance. Your schedule is out of balance. And eventually you're going to experience what is called compassion overload. And you're going to give out. And you're going to lose your passion. Now what is compassion overload? Compassion overload is when you're always being a caregiver. I know many people in this room right now who are constant caregivers, either to family members or in their work or whatever. They're constantly giving care to others. 
And these that experience compassion overload, they are always being a caregiver. They're always paying attention to the needs of other people. They're always looking to help other people with their problems. But eventually, you can get overwhelmed. Eventually, you can get overwhelmed to the point where you just stop caring. Where you just stop caring. You can get to the point in your life where you don't even care about God anymore. You can get to the point in your life when you don't, where you don't care about other people anymore. You can get to the point in your life where you don't care about anything anymore. Because you're overwhelmed. And naturally, you're going to try to run and escape from the anxiety and the tension and the stress of it all. Compassion overload. Now there are others of you, amen, who are the exact opposite. There are others who are always taking in, but they're never giving out. They go to Bible studies all the time. They listen to preaching on TV. They read their Bible every day. They listen to Christian music. They come to church every time. They're always learning. They're always taking in. They're always growing in knowledge. But they're not using it. And so if you're not using it, if you don't have a ministry, if you don't have an outlet for all that stuff that you're learning, if you don't have a mission in your life, then you're not really helping anybody but you. See, the primary reason that most people come to church is to be fed spiritually. Oh, I'll go there because I get fed spiritually. And they take in all that spiritual food and they get bigger and they get bigger and they get bigger. And eventually they don't have to walk out of the church because they can just roll out. That's where we get the term holy roller, amen? They're taking in, they're taking in, but they got no outlet for what they're learning. So are you a holy roller? Taken in all the time, but, but never given out? You see, a whole lot of Bible study, a whole lot of knowledge, a whole lot of putting in, taking in without a ministry, without taking out, boy, that can be really dangerous. Because James chapter 4, verse 17 says this, To him who knows to do good, but does not do it, to him it's sin. Do you realize that the more you know about God and what he expects of you, the more you know about God's plan for your life, then the more responsible you are to God for what you know? If God teaches you something through the scriptures or otherwise, 
He holds you accountable for what you now know. Now, I'm not here to cast any judgment or point any fingers because only you and God know whether you're in compassion overload or whether you're a holy roller. you got to figure that one out on your own. But I can tell you this, God will help you to figure it out. God will tell you which one you are. Bottom line is this, you got to maintain balance in your schedule. Because if you don't, it'll kill your passion. It'll kill your passion for life. It'll kill your passion for God. you got to make time. You got to make time to worship God in private and with others. You got to make time to fellowship with other believers. You got to make time to read God's word and grow in your Christian life. And you got to make time to serve by using the abilities God gave you. You got to make time. You got to make time to share your faith with other people. You see, if you're doing a whole lot of worshiping, and we're doing a whole lot of fellowshipping, and we're doing a, a whole lot of Bible study, but we ain't doing no serving, then guess what? You're out of balance. And eventually, it will kill your passion. Because you have no outlet for the Holy Spirit of God to work through you. Eventually, you will lose your passion. So, have you ever asked yourself, how come I don't feel as close to God as so-and-so? How come I don't feel as close to God as I used to back when? Could it be because you're out of balance? I read about a lifeguard who nearly drowned in an undertow. He said that even though he was a, a really good swimmer, that undertow just pulled him under the water and he had to hold his breath for what he thought was like minutes. He said this kept him under and kept him under. Finally, he reached the surface and he gasped for breath like he'd never had a breath of air before. You might say that he was passionate for air, Amen. Do something with me. On the count of three, I want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to hold it for 15 seconds. Now, if you can't do that, I don't want anybody fainting on me, okay? <laughs> don't want to call the ambulance. But we're going to hold our breath for 15 seconds. Are you ready? If you're, if you're ready, say amen. amen. Here we go. One, two, three. That was 25 seconds. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I was ready to let that one rip, man. I need to be some fresh air. 
I was getting passionate for air, amen, were you? Yeah, I know a bunch of y'all cheated. But just imagine for a second, if all of a sudden you stop breathing, man, you'd get pretty passionate about wanting some air. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to see him as the very air we breathe. To have so much passion for God that he's the very air you breathe. And then to have that kind of passion for him. Do you? Maybe you, like me, you just got to go back to the beginning. Reignite your passion for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's heart mean? With all your passion. And you may say, Brother Bill, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, but I want to know a little bit more about this great deal you were talking about. What's the big deal about this great deal you mentioned before? Well, the good deal is, is that because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you can have all, say all, you can have all your sins forgiven, you can have purpose in your life today, and you can have a future home in heaven when your days on earth are through. What a great deal. Maybe you're thinking this morning, I want that. I've never made a decision to love the Lord my God with all my passion and I want my sins forgiven and I want some purpose and I want a future home in heaven friend I'm telling you that if that's the case with you this morning I'd love for you during this invitation song just to come forward I'll show you not what brother Bill says I'll just show you what God says in the Bible about how you can have your sins forgiven have a little bit of purpose in your life and be assured that you have a future home in heaven Father in heaven, forgive us for losing our passion for you. When we consider all the things that you've done for us, the very air we breathe, the very beat of our hearts, and the health that we enjoy enough to come to this place today. We ought to love you passionately. And I know that sometimes we unconsciously or subconsciously make the choice to not love you passionately. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. If there's somebody that's here today that has never taken hold, never taken part of that great deal that you offer through your son Jesus Christ, I pray that you would encourage them and allow them to come Forward, Lord, to see exactly how they can have their sins forgiven, have some purpose in life, and have a future home in heaven. But Lord, this is also a decision time for those who have been given a half-hearted passion to you. Lord, perhaps a recommitment is in order, I don't know. But Lord, I know that we all have more passion to give, and I know that often we choose not to give it. 
So, Lord, if there's a decision to be made, Lord, you help someone to make it. We'll give you the glory for it. And thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who makes it possible. In his name we pray. And all God's people said. The cross upon which Jesus died Is a shelter in which we can hide And its grace so free Is sufficient for me And deep is its fountain As wide as the sea There's room at the cross for you there's room at the cross for you though millions have come there's still room for one yes there's room at the cross for you though millions have found him and have turned from the sins they have seen. The Savior still waits to open the gates and welcome a sinner before it's too late. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. The hand of my Savior is strong. And the love of my Savior is long. Through sunshine or rain, through loss or in gain, the blood flows from Calvary to cleanse every stain. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Let's go back to the beginning and sing it again. upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide and its grace is so free is sufficient for me and deep is its fountain as wide as the sea there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. 
There's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Amen. Remember, it's never too late to start building your passion for God. When you feel you're at your lowest, he's there to take you back to where you were, take you back to the highest. I thank you for being here this morning. I pray that you've been blessed, and I pray that in the course of 2011, your passion's going to go through the roof, amen? amen? You pray for mine, too, okay? Listen, tonight at 5.30, we have a special message told to you about vision. We all need some vision, amen? And I want you to come here at 5.30. I want love everybody to be here as we talk about vision. And I pray that in Jesus' name you have a blessed week, and I pray that you remember that you are the one responsible for your passion. Okay? What am I forgetting? Cross-training at 5.30. We need your kids back here at 5.30. We, we've got the teachers. We've got cross-training in place. We need the kids back here at 5.30. All right? Young people, and, and uh, remember, Wednesday is uh, Awana, so we're going to have a good time. Is there anything else before we go? All right. Let's come back tonight for the rest of your blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and, let's, and we'll be dismissed. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful day and all these people that have come out to worship you today, Lord. Thank you, and Lord, just uh, thank you for the message that we've heard, Lord. Ignite our passion, Lord, and, and help, us to, uh, uh, help us to always keep you on the forefront of, uh, of our minds, Lord, to always worship you and, and uh, always to be about you. Lord, we just uh, ask your blessings upon this church in 2011, Lord, all these people. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you, Cheryl.